I'm Claire Parker. And I'm Ashley Hamilton. And And this this is the Celebrity Memoir Book Club. The podcast where we, Claire Parker and Ashley Hamilton, are reading celebrity memoirs for the juice, the pulp, and not the garbage. You don't even let me try at this point. You could give me a shot at it. Go to town. Celebrity Memoir Book Club. The podcast where we read the book so that you don't have to, and we tell you what we think. I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. I think that we are two expert readers who've put a lot of effort into reading tens of thousands of celebrity memoirs, and no better opinion than ours to go with your afternoon cup of tea. Ashley, do we have anyone to thank this week? Yes. This week, I would like to thank Bolin Branch for supporting our show. Try the sheets that will make fall the coziest season of the year. Get 15% off your first set of sheets and free shipping when you use the promo code WORM at BolandBranch.com. And Claire. Yeah. Speaking of getting cozy, how's the first week of your fall going? If you were to write a memoir about it, what would you title the chapter? Oh my God. I would title it Trust in the Universe. Oh my God. I love that. I've had such a served by the universe day. I had a kind of tough weekend. This is our first recording since we did the DC and... Philly shows. I just want to say they were amazing. Thank you so much for everyone who came out. Thank you guys so much. I love you. It was so fun to meet you. It was so fun to chat with you. Thank you so much to everyone who came. I hope you had fun. We did our best. And we had fun. Besides the shows, I had two little things that were making me feel not safe. And then today I woke up and I was going to meet my mom in the flower district of Manhattan because I'm doing my own flowers for the wedding. So we wanted to do a run through. But on my way to meet up with her, I realized I forgot my phone and we also had not secured a location for where we would meet. And the flower district is just like a couple of streets. So it's not obvious where you would go. And I was on this train and I was like, I think I left it at my coffee shop. I could go back and get it and be late to my mom. Or I could just assume it's there and it's safe and hope that someone on the train just lets me borrow their phone. And I was like, I feel like it's going to work out. I'm just going to go ahead with the schedule. I don't really have time to go back, I believe. And you know what happened? You just found your mom. I was sitting on the bench waiting for the train and a woman goes, are you that girl with the podcast? And I was like, I am a girl with a podcast. And she was a worm and she said hello. And I was like, thank you for saying hello to me. Can I use your phone? (laughs) And she let me, which was so fucking nice of her. And I was able to say to my mom, like, I don't have a phone, 26 and six. And we met up, I found her. And then I went back to the coffee shop to find my phone. And was it there? No, No. (laughs) it wasn't. Where was it? It was on the steps in front of my apartment because I had to tie my shoes. Are you crazy? But I got it back. (laughs) And it all worked out. I just said, it's a beautiful day outside. The universe is here for me. I had faith. I was like, I think it's going to be okay. And as somebody who's lost two phones in two years, I was like, this was not a good bet to make. But Today, we survive. We live to tell the tale, baby. So thank you to that woman who helped me. And thank you to the great weather. Okay, you guys, I am recording this on my phone, but I had to pop in and tell you that I am so excited. We're coming to motherfucking Boston, October 27th. Giselle may have fled town, but she left a perfect little hole for me and Claire to pop by October 27th at Laugh Boston. The link to tickets is in the show notes of this episode. And I cannot wait to see you there. It's going to be so much fun. Okay, back to the episode. Ashley. Yeah. If you are a celebrity and you were having a memoir, what would you name this chapter week, day, life? I would name this chapter, It's All Happening. What's happening? Our lives, bitch. We are having so much fun. We got to spend last weekend doing live shows. I come from a naturally anxious nature. I have a quite anxious family. I am often able to beat my anxious family members to the punch. When I think about things, I think, They're going to be anxious about it. 
how can I get in front of it by thinking all of the worst case scenarios first? And I've decided, no, I'm just going to live. I'm going to laugh. I'm going to love. And things are working out. I feel like we have live shows that we just did. We have some more live shows coming up. This is everything we've ever wanted to do with our entire fucking lives. It's true. When we got to sleep in our hotel the second night when we each had our own bed and I didn't have to sleep in the little baby cot at your feet, I was like, wow, I can't believe my job is hanging out with my best friend. I'm so lucky. So thank you guys. It's so lucky. It's so fun. We have been very busy lately. We've had meetings and I just feel very hopeful about the things that are coming out of them and our futures. And I just am excited. I'm excited for the path, for the journey. I've decided to stop focusing so much on what I can't change and then just be like, wait, the things that I can change are going really well. So good job. Yay. Look at us. I feel like there's a great pep in the step of the air. I hope you guys are having a good day too. And if not, maybe tomorrow. I know. My step is peppy. I almost tripped a couple of times because Bug's also a peppy stepper and she peps zigzaggy. <laughs> yeah, she's crazy when she walks. Should we get into this week's memoirist? Yes. You guys, in metric opposition to last week, last week I would say <laughs> it was a problematic memoir, not for any of 2022's reasons, but because it was so detailed, it sucked. So this week we found a memoir that had almost not one detail in it. I definitely recommend that you guys get out your easels and prepare to take notes because this week we're learning lessons. Giselle Bunchen has lessons for us to live on how she created a path to a meaningful life. And she's going to create one for you too. Step number one is be six feet tall with giant bazungas and perfect hair. If you can't manage that part, then she can't help you with the rest. Can I say this book was like an almost a vacuum in the same way that you were saying last week, you were repelled by the book. It had like a magic force field, a force field around it. This book force fielded me every time I felt like I went to reach for it. I would be like, okay, my hand is getting closer, but it's just not grasping on. Maybe I better go wash my face. I think I washed my face three times today. I could not read this book. Your eyes don't stick to the pages because there's nothing on them. It's an impossible journey up a mountain that doesn't exist. Yeah. It's kind of like if you tried to walk up a bowling alley, there is something about it that is just like a sand dune, but on a cold day. And you're like trying to walk up the hill and you just can't. However, there's definitely parts in it that I don't disagree with. I mean, that's because when you're speaking in the broadest generalizations to ever have existed, you're bound to trip on something that is true. I think that eating healthy will make you feel good. And I do think that being beautiful is so fun. <laughs> I don't know. It's like, I'm Okay, just... can I say she actually makes being beautiful seem not that fun, but not in any specific sense, just in a way where I was, I'm like, well, she is beautiful, but I don't want her life. Should we dive in? I guess. Giselle Caroline Bunchen was born July 20th, 1980. I would like to point out that she is a cancer and she says, you know, because crabs love their food, which was not something I'd ever actually heard about a crab. <laughs> I've never said crabs. They eat well. I think they <laughs> eat the bottom of the ocean. I think they're like algae suckers. I've never even considered what crabs eat. <laughs> I don't know that they eat anything. I think they are born with sacks full of nutrients in their tummy. And when they suck up all the sack, they die. Nobody fact check. <laughs> don't tell me. I don't want to know. I like what I think. This book came out in 2018. So she was 38 years old and she is currently 42 years old and in a little bit of mar marital diss, which is the opposite of marital bliss, marital bliss. Sorry, she's in a little bit of marital diss. 
<laughs> which is the opposite of marital bliss. Should I keep that entire journey to getting me to saying it right in? <laughs> yeah. I like it when you have marbles in your mouth. <laughs> My tongue's too big. I think one day I'm going to admit I'm allergic to something <laughs> and it's going to answer a lot of the problems I have with speaking. One day I'm going to find out that I actually have been deathly allergic to like milk this whole time and my tongue is two times as big as this should be. Okay, so this introduction is everything that should have been the whole book. It's just the story of her life real quick. My name is Giselle Caroline Bunchen. I've worked as a fashion model for the past 23 years. I was born in 1980, grew up in Horizontina, which is a small town in southern Brazil. She's a fifth generation German descent on both sides, which I kind of wonder how. How do you keep it so German in Brazil? But she's one of six. She's a twin. Her and her twin are the middle two. When she was 13 years old, she was already five foot nine inches. Her mom put her in a modeling class to help with her mm. posture. Back what? it up. Her mom put her and two sisters in a modeling class to help with her posture. Do you think that that's true? Or do you think she said one of you could be a model, but I can't just say it about only one? I do think that that's true. Because I do think of three sisters in modeling school, one became the model of the decade and two became the proprietors of her business. <laughs> she came in second. She got to go to Sao Paulo where she came in top 10 and then she got to go to Apitha. She went to Sao Paulo for a modeling contest. And then she went to Apitha. Yes. And she took a pill. Just kidding. She would never. She would literally never. A year later in 1995, I moved to Sao Paulo to launch my modeling career. I was 14. Then after a few months working there, she moves to Japan, Tokyo, she kind of hustles in the general model houses all over the world until she's 19 years old and she gets her big break walking for Alexander McQueen in a London show. Overnight, she becomes the it girl. From then on, 1999, she models for Versace, Ralph Lauren, Chloe, Missoni, Valentino, Armani, Dolce & Gabbana. She was on the cover of Vogue to represent that her body type was now in trend. They literally put her on the cover of Vogue to be like, this is the body that everyone should have. She was on the cover of American Vogue three times that year. And we all know she became one of the biggest models of all time. And then she literally says, everything above happened, though I've left out all the details. <laughs> I will say never again in this book does she go back in to add the details. It's the story of the public me, but the life I've lived in the public has very little connection to who I really am or what matters most to me. So she wants to spend the rest of this book, the meat of this book, outside of the introduction exploring what it means to truly be Giselle on the inside. And what that amounts to is eight chapters of completely disjointed stories. Some of these lessons I learned the hard way through personal experience. Others I learned through watching others over the years and concluding what not to do and how not to act. So she's going to share those with you. So she talks about how she learned a lot through modeling. She decided that she didn't necessarily think modeling would be her job she thought she'd be a veterinarian or a professional volleyball player. And then opportunities opened, doors opened. She walked through. She took advantage of opportunities. She's very grateful that she did. I love the way models are like, it would have been crazy to say no, even though I thought I was going to be a veterinarian. As soon as she said she was going to be a veterinarian, I was like, we are not going to stop hearing about how she could have been a veterinarian for the rest of this book. Even though it seems like she dropped out of school at 14. <laughs> yeah. When would she have become a veterinarian in? Over the next two decades, I began the process of discovering who I was. As I said, that Giselle is very different is very different from my public self. I feel like it's just a really good example of why I think people should go to high school. She spends a lot of time figuring out who she is, what the world means, the ins and outs of society and the way people behave. And it's just like, I don't know, man, you could have just talked to your peers twice. Can I say what this book reminds me of? Because she's about to get into her childhood. There's a very specific way of talking about your childhood 
where it was perfect completely. That reminds me of Priyanka Chopra. There's like a type of woman who's like, the way I live my life is the best way you can live your life. And it stems from generations of people living the best way of living life. Everyone's childhood had something in it. But she's like, no, it was perfect. There was six of us. And my mom worked all the time. And my dad worked all the time. And so we all had to raise each other. And that's exactly how it should go. I'm lucky that my sister was my mother and my other sister was my daughter. That gave me discipline. My parents were perfect. To this day, I take all their advice. She grew up with fruit. And that's the only thing that really matters for a child is having fruit. Yeah, it really is just like an unwillingness to look deeper. And it is this belief that any sort of like criticism or analysis that leads to growth would be like disrespectful to the work your parents did, which it isn't. And it wouldn't be. I would say this book reminds me more of JLo's book in that there's nothing in it. Yeah, there's nothing in it, but there is a haughtiness of, I mean, she is specifically telling you how to live your life to live, to be like her. This is coming from the perspective of, well, I have a perfect life. Here's how you should be living. True. Whereas I didn't get that from JLo. JLo's was just like, I have a boyfriend, I swear. (laughs) He lives in Canada. You don't know him. So she's doing a lot of examination. This book is not her life story, but her emotional journey towards discovering who she is. It started when she was younger and she was questioning religion. She had a lot of questions about spirituality and where people come from and what it all means. And she was scolded for asking these questions. And she thought, that is silly. I should not be scolded for having these grand philosophical questions. At some point, I began believing that all of us live in a world ruled by illusions and that my, our job is to find out who we truly are and discover our individual purpose. She believes that God is energy. So fine. I mean, that's fine. She said people and things might seem unimportant at the time, but then they become indispensable to our story. She comes to the realization that our lives affect other lives. So that's important. I know that I'm still relatively young, but looking back at my own life so far, I feel an enormous sense of gratitude. Good. She's also a big proponent of self-awareness. If we make choices more consciously and with greater self-awareness, we will find ourselves more closely aligned with our purpose in life, whatever that may be. My life didn't just happen to me. I chose to move to Sao Paulo when I was 14. Many years later, I chose to marry my husband. I chose to have our two children. I I could have never left Brazil. I could have played professional volleyball. I was good at it. Or become a veterinarian. I could have married somebody else or never married or never had children. The life I live today is an accumulation of dozens of choices I've made. I mean, that is words. Life can be magical, but living it well takes work, focus, patience, compassion, determination, and discipline. Jealousy or comparing yourself with anyone is a toxic recipe. Many women I know are simply overwhelmed. Whether they are in high school with too many activities or in their 30s and 40s being run ragged while trying to be a good mom, a perfect wife, a star at work, or all three, they spend almost no time alone. They've lost a connection to nature and to themselves. They're looking for answers outside themselves, not realizing that the answers that matter most are on the inside. Maybe these women are busy. There was a time when I was that person. Busy? That's what Giselle said. I've never been busy. (laughs) Don't you accuse me of that. (laughs) I've never been invited to go on a walk and been like, can't. And that's the freaking truth. So she acknowledges that the modeling industry shows unattainable images of beauty and it can be quite shallow. And these are things that factor into women being overwhelmed. Also, they factor into life being magical. The point of this book is that she has learned a lot of lessons and that most people only know her as an image, an object, a blank canvas on which they can project their own stories or dreams or fantasies. And she wants to let you know who the real her is. The lessons in this book are not rules. As someone who has always questioned the status quo, I certainly don't want to become anyone's status quo. 
Some of these lessons may come across as common sense or familiar. My goal is simply to interpret specific beliefs in the context of my own life and experiences. All right. Chapter one. Can we read the titles together? Sure. Chapter one. It all starts with discipline. This is the most concisely titled chapter. The rest of them, she chapters like we used to title podcasts. It all starts with discipline is a chapter about how when you're achieving things, it starts with discipline. It could be anything you're trying to achieve. So it starts with, you know, her childhood. She grew up with five sisters, two parents. Her parents worked full time. Obviously, they all had to contribute and pitch in. They share two bathrooms and three bedrooms and everybody had to help. And she's always been really into cleaning and keeping things organized. It really helped her later when she signed a contract with Victoria's Secret and she had to work 350 days a year. You can't do that without discipline. Whether I was scrubbing bathroom tiles, studying hard to do well in school or playing sports, I always brought an intense focus and motivation to everything I did. At age 10, when I started playing volleyball, I told myself to get good at it. So she practices a ton and that's how she always feels. As time went on, I became more disciplined probably because I could see direct results. And she talks about applying this discipline to modeling. She said, in my teens and 20s, I remember meeting one beautiful model after another. There were so many. I could barely believe it when somehow I was the one who ended up getting hired for many of the jobs. Why? I had to believe that discipline played a big role. I worked very hard, but I also tried to be fun to be around. So she talks about how she studied modeling. She studied lighting and angles and everything that it takes to be a good collaborator on set. She says, I do believe that one reason I became good at modeling is that I wasn't naturally photogenic. She doesn't look good on film, she says. So she had to like learn how to look hot, which involves movement, which made her dynamic and interesting. I'm like, totally. Giselle, I've seen photos of you standing and you're a big O uggo. Uggo with a capital U. And I say, boo. She's so freaking uggo. Maybe if she's a little bit more dedicated. Maybe if she jumped around a little, I could see some beauty in her. Okay, so basically she says that she's actually bad at modeling, but she worked really hard to be good at modeling, and that's how she ended up actually good at modeling. One time on a job in Iceland, I was told to stand on a floating fake iceberg in the middle of a glacier wearing only a string dress. I was freezing and afraid I might slip and fall into the frigid water, and yet I just smiled, doing my best not to show how panicked I felt. I told myself that it didn't matter if I was shivering or if my lips were turning blue. I was going to do the job well. Was she in America's Next Top Model? Why did that season not air? That is something that Tyra prepared those girls for. I have to give them credit. She always said her emphasis was on to be the best at what I do, which means giving my best. I could have been any number of professionals. Still, whatever I ended up doing, I knew I would have to be the best at it. So had she become a veterinarian, she would have been a really good veterinarian. No, she would have been the best veterinarian. (laughs) I do believe that dedication does matter. I do think that showing up on time, being polite, being easy to work with, like that does influence your overall reputation within the industry. But I unfortunately cannot believe that's the only reason she was getting chosen above all these other girls. No, you don't know. When she was there, tits were out. (laughs) People hated them. Okay. So if you guys want Giselle's recipe for success, I'll give it to you. Four easy steps. One, clarity comes first. Figure out what your dream is. Then you need focus. What will it take for you to reach that goal? Do you need to change your daily routine or eliminate certain behaviors or even some people from your life? If you're a B student and wants to get all A's, it might mean that you have to start getting up an hour earlier to study or ask for extra help from a teacher or form a study group. Third step is dedication. This means staying on track over the long haul and giving yourself credit for when you've done well, but also concentrating on the areas where you need improvement. You may set a number of goals for yourself, but without dedication, they won't be realized. And you have to do them again, or they were just goal. The fourth step is humility. This is extremely important to her. You don't deserve special treatment. And she says, 
Humility allows you to grow from your mistakes to know that everyone in every experience can teach you something. In my experience, it opens the doors to a bigger, more meaningful life. You know who had really good humility? Who? Remember when Leah Michelle wasn't cast as the star on Broadway when she was in high school? And she said, it's a really good learning opportunity to learn that sometimes you have to share a dressing room and that sucks. And that was like a good lesson to her that sharing a dressing room was as bad as she had always hoped. And then she quit, but she had learned that lesson that never do anything unless you're the star. Yeah. That's humility. Sure. In some ways. Okay. So basically that sums it up. If you guys want to achieve anything, and I know that we've got some high achieving wormies out there who are really looking for just like a path to reach their full potential, you can do that by first having clarity and then having focus and then having dedication and then having humility. Okay. You laugh, but this is what I mean where I'm like, is she wrong? That's the thing is she's not wrong. But when you (laughs) say anything in the most general terms possible, you like hit something because you've hit everything. The same discipline that has served me my whole life. I now apply to being the best wife and mother I can be. My relationship to discipline has helped me create a daily routine. And yet I am constantly adapting to fit the ever-changing details of my life. And then she goes, I recognize that I'm lucky because I have a support staff and most people don't have the day-to-day help that I get, but I still have a long list of details and activities that can't be delegated and demand my full attention. I mean, yeah, but not cooking, not cleaning, not picking your kids up from school, like nothing that sucks. (laughs) She's a full-time chef that pulls food from their garden that they grow in their backyard. Here's my thing with books like this. You can ask anyone in the world, what is a recipe for success? And they'd be like working really hard at it and achieving it. But like, they don't have the time to dedicate to whatever random thing it is and work really hard and then achieve it. There is a real book that she could have written. Okay. I'm sure that there were real moments. I'm sure there are moments of vulnerability that she could have discussed, that she could have explored, that she could have pulled from. I don't think she has that in her. I think she has like moments that were interesting that she witnessed. I don't think she has a lick of vulnerability in her that she could have pulled from. I'll be honest. Okay, well, then maybe she should have found that before writing a fucking book. It was so hard to read through just like the generalities of a supermodel being like, I don't know. I do think that if you are having a hard time, you could look within. I guess I just wonder like what the point of a book was for her because this book, it's not like a lifestyle brand. It's not anything. I really feel in my heart that she thinks she's better than everyone. And she just has this superiority. I feel like the way that people hate Meghan Markle I think actually is Giselle Bündchen. That's so true. Sorry. That's how I read this book through those lens of what kind of person she is. And I'm just saying she kept it held back until the end. After she talks about the order that you need to achieve things, she talks about discovering meditation and her daily routine. Oh yeah. Do you guys want to hear about her daily life? I think (laughs) you have to wake up from five to six, between five and 6 a.m. She wakes up to ocean sounds and then she takes a deep breath. She does a little stretch. She does oil pulling for 15 minutes, which is when you like swash about coconut oil to get the toxins. And then she will work out, take the kids to school. She doesn't eat. Then she has maybe a green juice. And then she goes to her little shed, her little she shed and works on her job, which is I don't know what. (laughs) Because... Her job is simultaneously taking meetings all day, but also turning off her phone and never being on her phone. So I don't know what it is that she's doing. I, I, it's impossible to tell. Also, when she works out, she likes to listen to the audio of a YouTube video on a subject that fascinates her. And I'm like, just listen to a podcast. Listen then, to this podcast. Also, her and her kids love sun gazing, which is what she calls looking outside. I think that that actually seems dangerous. She also says that her kids have their own little chores every morning. Vivian has to put her dishes away. And then Benny feeds the dogs. I'm the one who puts the food in the bowls. Otherwise, Benny would feel sorry for the dogs and give them too much food. What is there to feeding a dog besides putting the food in the bowl? They also have a stars chart because she also wants to teach her children discipline. 
And she likes to live as lightly as possible. So some of her daily tasks include not using lots of plastic. For lunch, we'll usually have a fresh salad or big bowl of soup. And then later, they all have dinner at 6 p.m. where they turn off their gadgets. I always ask Tom about his day, but usually the conversation revolves around the kids. After dinner, we usually FaceTime Jack, Tom's son from a previous relationship. She does not mention how previous here. She does later a little bit about how their world got turned upside down when she found out his ex was pregnant from him. I Here's the thing. I would have loved some details here. She would die before she would give you a detail. When Tom Brady, for those of you guys who don't know, was one month into dating Giselle, he found out his ex-girlfriend was three months pregnant. So... No, when he was two months into dating Giselle. So the overlap between those relationships was plus or minus one month. So then she goes on to say, I always thought I was disciplined because I grew up the middle child and a twin and in a big family, but really it's just who I am. And I've always wanted to be the best. I've never wanted to fall short of my own expectations. If discipline doesn't come easy to you, what's the best way to create it? It begins with self-awareness. So try being more self-aware. Yeah, that might help. Then she finishes this chapter about discipline with a story that makes no fucking sense. (laughs) So she tells the story about how she was asked to give a speech to 100,000 people at Rock in Rio, which is like a giant concert. And she had recently found out that the rivers in Brazil are poisoned and it really broke her heart. So she decided she was going to talk about it in the speech. And she'd never written a speech and she was so nervous, but she used her discipline to force herself to write the speech. And then she says, I talked for several minutes. I didn't talk about the Amazon or about mining or about any of the other problems facing the country. Not directly, that is. Instead, I talked about the power of the collective, about hope, and about all of us standing together. At one point, my emotions overtook me, and I started crying. Then she finished off the speech with a karaoke version of Imagine by John Lennon. She says to herself, you did it. You made it to the other side, and today you're not only sane, you're stronger, wiser, and more confident. You did what? I cannot believe she did an entire two-page write-up about how horrible the pollution of the Amazon is and how she was finally going to tackle it in this speech, and she goes... I mean, did I mention it? No, but you know, it was implied. <laughs> Chapter two. Challenges are opportunities in disguise. I've always been an intuitive person. When I left home, I usually had a pretty good sense of how to stay safe and make wise choices. She makes a big deal in this book and she never says it explicitly, but she's always like, nothing bad ever happened to me and I was always safe. I always made good choices and I was always safe. And I'm like, okay, we get it. Yeah. And she's like, not everyone was always safe. There are other models who partied and went home with men. But she's like, you don't understand. My dad wrote a note to my modeling agency and saying, make sure she's safe. And because of that, nothing bad ever happened to me, unlike anybody else. Except for this one bad thing where she wanted to potentially end her own life. Well, we're not there yet. When I reflect on my life, I can see clearly the times that I've learned the most and made the most positive changes have also been the most difficult times. These were situations when I made poor choices, but I question whether they were really mistakes or rather just experiences and opportunities to learn. Did you know that Giselle Bungeon's never made a mistake in her life? She's just learned. So now she views all those challenges as As opportunities in disguise. (laughs) I was on a hamster wheel and yet I didn't even know it. I was 23 years old, successful at what I did and working 350 days a year. That's a lot of days per year. And she will tell you a lot of times. She tells us maybe 350 more times in the book. So she was obviously not doing great. She wasn't eating well. She was always on planes. I mean, that would burn anybody out. That is a fucking lot of work. I could never be a Victoria's Secret angel. I don't know how you guys do it. It is not for me. Thank you for asking, but no, thank you. Not for me. (laughs) We'll be veterinarians. (laughs) Or maybe a professional volleyball player. So she says, looking back, I now see that I'd gone so numb. I couldn't see what was happening. I was literally killing myself. By that, she means she was eating cheeseburgers a lot. 
When you're 19 years old, maybe you can get away with working 350 days a year. But by the time you're 23 and have been running on overdrive for years, well, your body, mind, and soul begin breaking down. I was trying my best to cope with the realities of my life. She was smoking cigarettes and drinking alcohol and drinking coffee. And she was like those kinds of unhealthy things. I mean, cigarettes and alcohol, I guess, are not good for you. But the way she's like, the fact that I was doing all of these hard, hard substances was running me ragged. And also the physical truths of having to wear high heels a lot were breaking her body down. She said the hard parts about modeling were the constant traveling, the promotional obligations, including launch parties, and the fact that with the exception of my dog, Vita, it was difficult to make real friends. I don't think that Giselle Bundchen has a friend. I think she has a husband. I think she has sisters. And I think she has businesses. As someone whose close friend is a dog, I don't think dogs necessarily count. I didn't confront the toll that this was taking until my panic attacks started. I was experienced the first one in 2003, and they would last for the next nine months. So basically, they start when she's on a very small plane. The plane hits bad, turbulent weather. She has a panic attack, and then the panic attacks don't go away, and she develops like an intense fear of elevators, subways. What was she doing on the subway at this point? I don't even believe that. But anything small, she gets very scared of going into... And then it comes to a head when she's getting a massage in her own apartment building. And she has such a bad panic attack because she feels so trapped that she says everything had become a cage and I was the animal trapped inside panning for air. I couldn't see a way out. I couldn't stand another day of feeling this way. The idea swept over me then. Maybe it will be easier if I just jump. It will all be over. There's a solution. I can get out of this. So then she goes to a doctor who prescribes her Xanax and she was like, a pill? You want me to take a pill? And that gives her the motivation that she needed to seek out changing her life. And here's the thing. I have had panic attacks before. It is so scary. And I don't begrudge her. I'm not like, you idiot. These aren't real problems. Like It is a real problem. But when she has the time and the resources to seek out every single type of professional in every single type of medicine to find a holistic solution for her problems, and then she's like, see, it's not that hard. It's just like, I don't know, man. She wasn't suicidal. During a panic attack, she had like one fleeting suicidal thought. Cause she's like, the next day when I went to the doctor, I wasn't feeling that way at all anymore. And I'm not saying that's not serious. I'm not saying panic attacks aren't serious, but I do think she kind of milks this suicide rock bottom for all it's worth. She kind of like acts like it was a full on suicide attempt. It was like, okay, in a moment you felt panic and you're like, ah, do I jump? <laughs> and then you're like, no, of course not. It was like a single intrusive thought one time. Part of the reason it feels awkward to talk about it at all is because the question anybody's suicide is wrong, but she wasn't suicidal. She had a single thought one time that she in no way acted upon and by the morning was gone. So I just find it like kind of exploitive. I'm sure her life was very overwhelming and stressful. And I'm sure there there were a lot of contributing factors and she did need to do a 180, but without giving much, she's like one time I had one bad thought and you're just like, okay, welcome to New York, baby. It's been waiting for you. She goes on this journey to even out her life because she does not like the idea of taking Xanax. She discovers yoga, which she's like, it wasn't popular at the time. I found yoga. She goes, So I prayed. I prayed for clarity and for guidance about what I should do next. I asked to be shown the way. I did what I always do when I pray. I asked the same question over and over again until the answer appears. That night, I got my answer. Yoga. At the time, I wasn't looking for a thing. As I said, all I asked was to be shown the way. Yoga. Where did yoga come from? I couldn't explain it. I still can't. I knew a little bit about yoga, of course. Years earlier, I'd read Autobiography of a Yogi. So it wasn't as though yoga was a foreign concept, but it still wasn't mainstream. So where did it come from? Could it help me? I mean, it came from the book you read about it. No, she kind of invented it. She discovered yoga in her brain. So she finds a yoga teacher to help her with a practice. Through yoga, she gets more interested in breath work and breathing. 
She says, when my anxiety attack started happening, people who knew me felt sorry for me. It would have been easy to buy into that way of thinking. Why is this happening to me? Poor me. Why am I having anxiety attacks? I'm such a good person. But if I did that, I would have seen myself as a victim. And I've always believed that when you start seeing yourself as a victim, you surrender your power and it can be hard to get back. She says a lot of other people should ask for help and that help is good. But for her, she had been in charge of herself since she was 14. And as far as I was concerned, there was only one person who could rescue me, me. So then she finds out that she has a bit of a hormonal imbalance because her adrenal glands are a bit out of whack. So she starts eating healthy. Our body is a temple, but it's also a vehicle. It's a transportation device. It's no different from a car or a bike. It only has one passenger, the soul. That's you. That's me. She cuts out sugar to get her hormones more balanced. She said, for the first two weeks, I suffered from terrible headaches. Claire? Yeah, I feel you. (laughs) But she doesn't just cut out like added sugar. She cuts out all sugar and caffeine and every combination of the two. No carbs, no alcohol, no fruit. Like nothing with even naturally occurring sugars. That's crazy. That can't be good for you. She also breaks up with her boyfriend at the time because she's like, once I stopped drinking and eating sugar, my mind was clear like a whistle just nothing but wind in there. (laughs) Once I could feel the wind between all my bones, I thought, what do me and this guy have in common? This guy being Leonardo DiCaprio. It wasn't my fault or his. We were just in two very different periods of our lives. A wise friend of mine once told me something I've never forgotten. Giselle, he said, you have to give people the dignity of their own process. Leo is still on that process. I bet he still eats sugar. He looks it. He looks sugared. He looks like an uncooked cake. Like a little dough boy. He's a little roll waiting for the oven. Waiting to rise. And someday when he does rise, oh, it will be powerful. I can't wait to see him reach his full potential. (laughs) That Leo, he's got something to him. And one day he's going to realize it. After three months of this new regime, yoga and paranema breathing every morning at sunrise, meditation, exercise, no sugar, and a healthy diet the panic attacks went away. Sometimes you need to touch rock bottom before realizing how far you have fallen. Can I say I have had panic attacks and it is a really bad experience and I don't want that. But I do think if I had to choose between panic attacks or a life where I have to do both yoga and meditation every morning, no sugar, the way she eats, I think I would just do like a panic attack a day. A panic attack a day keeps the sad life away. She then goes on to, she's not just physically better than us. She's emotionally better. Her desires always been to live in harmony as lightly and with as few regrets as possible. So that's why she doesn't get angry at people anymore. She's learned that the anger only consumes her and not them. So she just doesn't feel angry. She also says she wants to do good in this world. I've heard it said that we're born with the face God gives us, but end up with the faces we deserve. At the end of my life, the only thing that will matter to me is whether or not I was a good person. So I guess she's going to look at herself before she dies and say, if I'm still hot, then I lived a good life. And I feel like You're setting yourself up for an unfair success when you started out as Giselle Bundchen and then also dedicated your life to keeping your face perfectly hot. You can't get Botox and then be like, tell me wrinkles, am I good? So basically she just sums it up by saying those panic attacks were really bad, but they led to something better, which was a clean and healthy lifestyle. Because don't forget, there are no mistakes. There's only opportunities in disguise. Honestly, the only health I'm concerned with is sleep hygiene. And when the sun sets a little bit earlier as we get deeper into the fall, it's the perfect excuse to get in bed even earlier. Bowl and Branch makes the softest sheets that you are going to be so excited to cuddle into. They focus on thread quality so that the sheets feel impossibly soft and luxurious. Thread count is actually not really something that matters. What matters is the quality of the threads that your sheets are made with. And Bull and Branch uses the best organic cotton fibers in the world. 
Claire and I both have the Bowen Branch signature hemmed sheet set, and I'm pretty sure it's the softest set of sheets I have ever owned in my entire life. I have spruce color, and they are such a beautiful and rich color. It makes my bedroom look so beautiful and luxurious. Bug loves them even more than I do. I swear to God, having soft sheets, it makes it so that I can sleep a little bit later because she wants to sleep a little bit later. She gets so cozy. Every time I wash them, and you guys know I love my clean sheets Sunday, every time I wash them, they get even softer, which is hard to believe. But baby, is it true? Bull and Brand Signature Hemmed Sheets are a bestseller for a reason. They use the highest quality threads on earth for superior softness and a better night's sleep. They feel buttery to the touch and they're super breathable, so they're perfect for every season. Bull and Branch Signature Sheets come in nine colors and they fit all mattress sizes. You'll feel a difference the moment you lie down. Try the sheets that will make fall the coziest season of the year. Get 15% off your first set of sheets and free shipping when you use the promo code WORM at bowlandbranch.com. That's bowlandbranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com, promo code WORM. Chapter three. The, the quality, quality of, of your, your life. life depends. Depends. I don't think this is work. We can't do a game <laughs> no, show we style. But we just read it normal. Start over. The, the quality, quality of your life. <laughs> One more time. The, the quality, quality of, of your life depends, depends on, on the quality of your relationships. relationships. I feel like I we did it in harmony a bit. You took the melody and I took the bass. <laughs> so if you guys can tell, this is a chapter about how the quality of your life depends on the quality of your relationships. You know who said that to her? Her dad. He has some good ideas. She talks about how there are many different kinds of relationships that people experience. She says relationships may be casual or based on friendship. They may develop from a work-related activity or be romantic. Some are (laughs) short-term. Others can last a lifetime. Relationships can vary tremendously. Some examples. Some are blue, some are green, some are tall, some are mean, some are yellow, some are sad, some are mom, and some are dad. And that's how she feels about friends. I don't think she has a friend. I think this is all to say that she doesn't know a goddamn thing about friendship. I do think, though, if you have five sisters, you don't need a friend. That's true. It's enough. (laughs) Sometimes people change. Sometimes she's afraid to change. Sometimes the things that we have in common at a time in our lives is now in the past. Friends move or change jobs or get married. What the fuck is she talking about? I don't know, man. But only after I began meditating and practicing yoga did I set off on the long road of becoming a more compassionate towards myself, the person who matters most. Okay, so that's this is where the chapter middles. So as you can tell by now, the chapters often start middle and end with three different concepts that don't necessarily relate. So the first part of this is how there are many kinds of relationships They look all different types of ways. Sometimes you grow, sometimes you don't. The middle part is how knowing people helps you discover yourself. Can I also say one of the things she discovered about herself is that she has very high standards for herself. And it turns out not everybody has high standards and she has to let it go because she just wants things better than other people. Even when many conversations involved other people, I was still in a constant run-on dialogue with myself. You may think you're talking to Giselle Bundchen, but actually in that time, Giselle Bundchen was still talking to Giselle Bundchen. She's never known you. Who am I was the most common one. Am I who other people think I am? If I'm not, am I hiding who I really am? I mean, you're literally just talking to yourself while someone is trying to talk at you. Talk to other people, Giselle. Having said this, learning about yourself through being involved with other people is completely different than comparing yourself to other people. She then goes on to say that you shouldn't ever compare yourself to someone else and that she's tried to be a really good friend to people, but she's actually too good of a friend. And so now she can't have friends. I wanted only the best for people in my life and assumed that this feeling would be mutual. Unfortunately, I learned the hard way that that's not always the case. 
I've always been a receptive, porous person attuned to the energy other people give off. That's why over the years, I've learned to be more selective with my friendship. She just gives too much and it's too hard. So she goes on to talk about her relationship with her sisters and how it's hard to not compare yourself all the time. She says, as a twin, I always used to wonder, where do I begin and where does Patty begin? She talks about how hard it was one time when her sister was in the hospital. And she says, growing up, it was difficult because Patty was more popular and social and loved being with her friends, whereas I preferred spending time alone. Can you imagine how hard it must be to be a twin and growing up with your own personal measuring stick or thermometer? And then that other sister becomes the world's biggest supermodel. I'm sorry, Giselle. I don't feel bad for you. I don't feel bad for the comparison of having a twin. I don't necessarily feel bad for Patty either, but I do feel like if there's one of you that's trying to measure up to the other one, one of you guys is an internationally famous supermodel and one of you guys is an internationally famous supermodel's sister. She talks about this fight she had with Patty and how... If anyone isn't treating her right, whether it's a friend or one of her sisters, my response is always the same. I am only going to be in relationships that are loving and respectful. When you are ready to resume a loving, respectful relationship, I am happy to talk to you. If you're not ready yet, it's okay. I will be here when you are. If my brother ever said to me that when I'm ready to be in a loving, respectful relationship, he'll be back, I would punch him so fucking hard in the face. What if I said that next time we got into an argument? I actually think that would be quite healthy. I find that in our dynamic, I often am looking for space and you want to hash it out right now. And I'm like, I need a minute. (laughs) Shot myself in my own damn toes. (laughs) I do want to say that if Thomas had ever said that to me and then was also a supermodel, I would kill him. Anyway, she goes on to talk about her relationship with her husband, Thomas Brady, and how their values are very similar. And so that makes for a good relationship. And it makes for a quality life that depends on the quality of that relationship. For example, they're both committed to good health and nutrition. Although I'll eat a cookie if I want one and Tom usually won't. Then she goes on to explain the most quality relationship she's ever had in her life, which was with her dog Vita. So when she was 18 years old and she moved to New York, she's walking down the street on the Upper East Side and she sees a store called American Kennels with the cutest little dog that she'd ever fucking seen. So she decides she just can't leave without it. Okay, so the dog was $300. And she goes, the price is very high, I thought, but I reminded myself that American Kennels sold pedigreed dogs to Upper East Siders and was as far from a puppy mill as you could get. I left the store with my new best friend. All right. Can I say a store that sells pedigreed dogs to Upper East Siders is actually what I would assume is as close to a puppy mill as you can get. And this store was shut down in 2021 after years of protests because it was associated with puppy mills. And then they were able to find out that they were keeping these dogs in deeply inhumane conditions. The dogs were getting sick and then they got the place shut down by the government. Also, it turns out the dog was $3,000, which she charged to her mom's credit card. I don't know what she's like. I didn't hear the last zero. That's not how you pronounce numbers. (laughs) Also, she was making no money at this point. She was still living in a model house and they couldn't have dogs. So she had to move into an SRO where she shared bathrooms with strangers. It all worked out though, because within a week, her agent was like, oh my God, just move into someone's house in the West Village. So it, it was fine. She ended up okay. It was fine. And then like one year later, she got like a $25 million Victoria's Secret contract. So I'm pretty sure her little dog Vita had a nice life. And then Vita died. But when she was old. Yeah, like a normal time. She spends 12 pages talking about this dog. The rest of the chapter about relationships is like another 12 pages. The half of the relationships in her life that have been meaningful to her is this one dog, Vita, that she got from not a puppy mill, just a puppy store that buys from a puppy mill. Okay, chapter four. Our Our thoughts thoughts and words are powerful. powerful. Use Use them wisely. wisely. This chapter opens with 
one of the more important sentences in this entire book. I think self-awareness is one of the most important things in life. But of course, it isn't a goal as much as it is an ongoing process. So this is her section about self-awareness and how it's important to be self-aware and it's important to have positive thoughts because then those lead to positive things. And she says, think about what the first thing you thought this morning was. If your thoughts are positive, your words tend to be positive too. And if your thoughts are negative, your words have a higher probability of doing harm, even though that was never your attention. And so she's like, if you're thinking negative things when you wake up, you're probably gonna have a bad day and it was your own fault. Exactly. Giselle feels gratitude when she wakes up in the morning. And that's why she has a good day. Think about that next time you wake up. So if you wake up next to an (laughs) awful man in a terrible home with unhealthy food, try being grateful. And I bet you'll be married to one of the richest quarterbacks of all time with a six foot tall body and perfect hair. So then she goes on to talk about how she was bullied growing up because she was so tall and skinny. And then when she even started modeling she was bullied because she was tall and skinny, but had huge tits. And that wasn't like the hot look at the time. She said at the time, a heroin chic was all the rage. Pale androgynous looking models were getting all of the jobs. I was close to five feet 10, somewhere between 115 and 118 pounds and very skinny with massive boobs. They even nicknamed me the boobs from Brazil. At fittings, none of the sample sizes were made for women who were built like me. And as a result, I wasn't feeling pretty or worthy. Never good enough. Can I roll back the tape to that line about self-awareness? It must have been really hard to be so, so, so skinny and tall and looking like a model, but then also have just like giant tits. I guess the thing is, I agree that everyone has problems. It doesn't matter if you're beautiful or whatever. Like everyone is self-conscious. Everyone has these issues. But self-awareness means that you are aware of beauty standards in society and you are aware of the way the world works. And you like have the self-awareness to say like, maybe I shouldn't complain about being the tallest, skinniest woman with the hugest boobs. Okay, well, maybe she shouldn't complain, but what about her son who has his own problem? Imagine being the son of a famous New England Patriots quarterback and going to school in New England. That's hard. So her son has self-awareness, but she doesn't. She tries to figure out ways to be good to people. And so she tells a story about how when her and Tom get into fights, which is rarely, they never fight. But every once in a while, I feel anger rising in me, growing, growing. I become aware of what's going on. Instead of reacting in a way I'll regret later, I remember to breathe. Then I'll tell Tom it's better if we talk later and I leave the room. She meditates. One time she wrote a letter. She was so angry. Yeah. Sometimes instead of verbally reacting, I'll write a letter because this helps her like understand her tone and where she's coming from. She said one time when Tom and I were having a rough time, I got an email from him that hurt my feelings. Instead of retaliating by sending a hurtful email back, I took out a pen and a piece of paper. And for the next hour, I wrote down my thoughts and emotions, the things that made me angry, the things that made me frustrated, everything I was feeling at the time. I didn't censor myself. It was nonstop, no restrictions. When I finished, I was shocked to see I'd written almost three pages. I also felt relief. One hour, nonstop, no restrictions, and she came out with three pages? That is not a lot of pages. I wonder how big the page was. Ashley, you're being such a bitch. Maybe it was a scroll. Yeah, maybe she wrote three scrolls. (laughs) In an hour, that's a lot. (laughs) You're right. Today, I'm still relatively young and lack self-awareness. I hope I'll have in the future. Me too. <laughs> oh my gosh. She keeps telling stories about things she's overcome. One of the things is she's had wavy hair since she was a child. When she started modeling, straight hair was the trend. So a friend took me to get a flat iron and she used it every day. At 16, I moved to New York. I was suddenly surrounded by a lot of girls who weren't straightening their hair and I finally felt it was okay to stop. 
It was a liberating feeling to let my hair be just what it was. And it's so funny that today, something I'm known for is my natural hair texture. That is funny that for two years of your life, you strained your hair. And then at 16, you realized you had the best hair in the world. And now you get paid millions for it. That is a really good story of overcoming something horrible. I'm glad you trusted your... She didn't even trust her gut. She straightened her hair until she saw that it was okay not to. Also, like, oh, congrats on being 14. We all straightened our hair. I still straighten my hair. Okay, so then she tells the story about getting a Victoria's Secret contract and how she had to listen to her gut because signing with Victoria's Secret meant giving up couture runway shows. And she was like, ah, what should I do? Get millions of dollars from Victoria's Secret or do these high-profile fashion gigs? And then she went with the $25 million contract. And then it turns out that she could do both. So it literally didn't matter. She says, I love the people I worked with, especially my dear friend turned Cupid, Ed, Ed Razik, who has since been denounced in disgrace, who had hired me and who many years later set up Tom and me on a blind date. She then decided she wanted to make more millions and she decided not to. And I don't know, that was like a whole thing where she had to listen to her inner voice and say, do I, somebody who's worth so many millions, married to somebody who's also worth so many millions, do I need to keep making millions? And I guess she said no. Yeah, I also want to call in. She keeps on mentioning how she met Tom via a blind date. And as we know, Tom was potentially several days out of a relationship where he'd gotten his ex-girlfriend pregnant. And I know he didn't know yet, but my God, the turnaround on that recommendation. Because Tom was with Bridget Moynihan for a couple of years. So Ed had just been sitting there being like, as soon as this relationship breaks up, I'm sending Giselle in or what Wasn't happened? Giselle working 350 days a year. So luckily, right as he broke up with his pregnant girlfriend, she had those 15 free days. I guess. How did their schedules line up so quickly? I don't know. Something's fishy in here. Chapter five. Where, where your, your attention, attention goes, goes is, is what grows. grows. This to me has the same rhyme scheme as that Tyra Banks chapter that made me upset it's just like a half a syllable wrong and I don't know how anyway so she talks about how at the end of every year she likes to make a list of all of the things in her life what she hopes to approve upon she likes to sum up everything she's done in the last 12 months and decide where her attention should go in the next year because that is what will grow what should I do next year should I cut out sugar or should I do something that scares me how will I become a better person, a better friend, a better mother, better at everything I do? She's got to be the best at everything. And let me tell you, she might be. What we need to understand is that where we place our attention is within our control. From experience, I know how easy it can be to allow others to define us or limit our potential. So now she randomly talks about her big break walking the Alexander McQueen show, which is not really what I'd say falls under this chapter, but is actually one of the few truly memoiry chapters in this whole book where she gives you a story and it's quite interesting. Yeah. So she talks about her early modeling career, how she wasn't very successful because once again, the heroin chic look was all the rage and she didn't have that. She said, I had nothing in common with that look. I was healthy and tanned and athletic and I had big boobs. She was also living in a model's apartment in central London where most of the other girls either smoked, drank, took drugs or had piercings and tattoos. Ugh. So after three weeks and 43 castings, most people had barely booked me. But then she goes to Alexander McQueen. He makes her walk in a fish skirt. I don't really know what that is. Me, a fishtail skirt. I think it's like a mermaid bottom costume. Copy, copy. And then she hears back that she got it and she can't believe it. So she goes and they didn't call her in for a fitting. And she's like, well, that's odd. But she just rolls with it. She has three looks. The first one is really small. It's like a bathing suit. And she can't believe she has to wear it. She has to wear a second one. And then for the final look, she just has the fishtail skirt. And she's like, what do I do next? Where's the top? And there was no top. They're like, you're supposed to walk bazungas to the wind. 
And she said, oh, no, I won't. I began to cry. I had no idea what to do. Mostly I thought about how disappointed and embarrassed my parents would be. I tried to hold back my tears, but they just kept coming down. And the black feathers glued to my lashes began coming unstuck. I could hear the heavy crunching industrial beat coming from the runway. I thought about leaving, about running away. There was no way in the world I was going to go out there without a top. But if I left, I knew I'd probably never be given another opportunity. I'd be called unprofessional. That is, if the casting agents bothered to call me anything at all. But in the end, it was my body's, no one else's. So then luckily, a makeup artist comes over, hears what happens, and decides that she would paint a white top on her. I can't believe a painted top wasn't like part of the plan. So they paint the top and then she's like, okay, I can go back out. It's dark anyway. And then she notices that all the girls are coming back from the stage soaking wet. It took me a few seconds to grasp what was going on. I could already barely move in my tight fishtail skirt and high heels. Now I was about to go out there in a painted on top and it was raining. That was probably the night I started to disassociate, to begin thinking of my public self as her and she. Because the girl who finally appeared on the runway wasn't anyone familiar to me. A few minutes earlier, I'd been crying so hard my tears were washing off my makeup. I was a good girl. I was a tomboy. I was someone whose big breasts had embarrassed her since she had hit puberty. I was a girl gripped by the fear that my family would feel so embarrassed they would never talk to me again. I was terrified. So she goes out and becomes her. She was managing to walk in impossible heels on an incredibly slippery stage. She didn't make any mistakes. She didn't fall. She gave off the impression that she didn't have a care in the world. The rain made her black eye makeup run down her face so no one could tell that what was rain and what was tears. Fake it till you make it. I swear it really does work. I mean, this is... Gary. I have to say, this is like the interesting chapter. This reminds me a lot of the Paris Hilton documentary about how when she went to that high school, the trauma made her dissociate. And then that dissociation went on to become the Paris Hilton we knew publicly. Yeah. And that's exactly what she says she does here. She basically was like, I just have to create an alter ego. And I don't know that that's healthy, but it's like why she's so successful. And I wonder if she knows what she's saying. I guess I don't know if it's healthy, but I also don't know if it's not like I, I wonder, I think doing it consciously actually is healthy because I think to be able to do a lot of the things that mega celebrities do is not like normal human behavior. So to create a character for yourself that can do those things without letting it affect your at-home self, I think maybe is the best way to do it, but you can't do it unconsciously. See, I, yeah, because Tyra said a very similar thing when talking to Sydney Crawford. They had the thing or whatever yeah. they called themselves. And that seemed like a very conscious choice from their telling about how do I survive this? I'm going to just see myself. And I think Beyonce has Sasha Fierce. A lot of people have that sense of when I'm out there, I'm, I'm doing a character. But for hers to come out of this what, like traumatic moment where she's being pushed beyond what she's comfortable doing and feels very afraid. I don't know that that's good. I don't think, I don't think this version of it is good. However, it completely changes her career. And one night, I'd managed to claim a spot on the fashion world map. All of a sudden, lots of people wanted to work with me. People started calling me the girl of the moment. It was somewhat overwhelming, though some people still felt free to criticize me to my face. So she put, was put on the cover of Vogue, The Return of the Curve. She was named Model of the Year. She also then goes on to her next big gig is being shot by Irving Penn completely naked, and she did not want to do it. Frankly, I didn't feel like I had much of a choice. So then she writes about success after the Alexander McQueen show and how she worked on her modeling skills as much as she could to help rise with the moment. She began to learn about angles and lighting. She says, I began analyzing photos that were poorly lit. That doesn't look good. Why? <laughs> well, they were poorly lit. <laughs> you just said that. She's the girl of the day, but the model du jour. But how long will it last? And she says, I wasn't planning on going home empty handed. If nothing else, I wanted to own my own place. What was the point of paying rent when I could use that same money to get a mortgage and buy my own apartment? I began squirreling away whatever funds were left over at the end of each month. 
I've never been interested in expensive clothes or handbags or shoes. I would always buy everything from the flea market. When I got more successful and clients began sending me first class airline tickets, I traded them in for seats in economy and the money I saved went straight into my savings account. That's how I was able to buy my first ever apartment in New York on Beach Street in Tribeca. It was a small apartment and I loved it. A lot of the girls couldn't believe it when I told them I bought my own apartment, but I always keep my eyes straight ahead. I always knew what I was working for. So I just want to say she bought this apartment in 1999. You know what else she did in 1999? She signed a five-year, $25 million contract with Victoria's Secret to be one of their angels, which was at the time the largest fashion model contract in the history of America or the world. Do you think it was scrimping and scraving and only going to flea markets? Or do you think it was the $25 million check she got? I would argue it was perhaps the $25 million check. I just can't believe somebody who got the biggest fashion contract of all time is like, I never got avocado toast and I made my coffee at home. (laughs) Shut up, Giselle. Don't fucking talk to me about exchanging first class tickets. What are you talking about? Then she talks about operating on a set belief system and creating a better life for herself by altering her belief system. She said, when I was having my panic attacks and drinking mocha frappuccinos, smoking a pack of cigarettes a day and drinking a bottle of wine at night, it became a kind of belief system. The belief system told me I was a person constantly on the go who needed to smoke all day to keep moving and drink wine every night to relax. That was what I believed I needed to do to keep going. Smoking and drinking wine were the actions I took based on that belief system. The cure, meditating, running every morning, and changing my diet were actions based on my new belief system. I don't... Oh, this is about... We're still on where your attention goes is where it grows. I don't know what this fucking chapter is about because I just skipped ahead. (laughs) And then she talks about all of her attempts to help the environment. I do not know. She never lists the things she's accomplished in. She just like cares a lot and gives a lot of speeches where she doesn't actually ever say anything about the environment. She says after she had children, she got her boobs done and regretted it. I guess these all do go in under this chapter umbrella, but none of the stories relate to each other. Can I say it is really funny to say where your attention goes is what grows and be like, for example, I was thinking about my boobs a lot. And when I got a boob job, they They got bigger. (laughs) Anyway, so then she realizes that the environment is like in danger Her and her dad combat it by coming up with a cartoon series for kids called Giselle and the Green Team about a group of teenage girls who live double lives as supermodels and environmental superheroes. She's really worried about deforestation. And can I just say, if that is a numero uno concern, you should not have written the world's most useless book. She made a cartoon about superheroes who are also supermodels. The forest, Claire? I'm holding it in my fucking hands right now. Then she's asked to be a part of the 2014 FIFA World Cup. I was torn like a lot of Brazilians. I believe that Brazil could have used the money being spent on stadiums and running tracks for other more urgently needed things like improving hospitals, schools, and infrastructure. But in the end, I said yes. <laughs> so that's really the Giselle story of like, oh, I would have loved to help, but ultimately I didn't. <laughs> and then she does the biggest runway of her career. Her task at the Olympics was to walk more than 400 feet just myself. She was really scared, but she did it. I will say that's a really long way to walk. And that is so fucking awkward. 400 feet. That's over a football field. I think that's like four football fields. No. And a half. No. Oh, I'm thinking yards. Yeah. Oh. The important point is that we can choose to put our attention on the areas of our life that will support us being our best. I don't know. I guess like when she needed to walk 400 feet, she was scared, but she put her attention to it. And when she put her mind to walking, she walked. She wanted to support the environment. She and didn't. She didn't, but she thought about it and that'll grow into something. Her story's not over. Chapter six, nature, nature our, our greatest, greatest teacher. teacher. And this is just another chapter about the environment. This that, is my favorite quote. 
When I say nature is our greatest teacher, you might wonder what exactly nature teaches us. Maybe the better question to ask is, what doesn't nature teach us? To me, nature is everything. That is a real, you got me, Giselle. But how am I going to argue with that? Can I read my favorite quote? Yeah. I'm a big believer in eating locally grown food. And to my way of thinking, no two jobs are as important and underappreciated as farming and teaching. Once again, I think I got got. I don't know. This chapter, I think we can skim. It's mostly about how she grows her own vegetables and the kids love it. And sure, they have a full-time cook who also tends to the garden, but that's, I don't know, neither here nor there. That has nothing to do with it. They make their own honey, which is good for allergies. She loves using food as vitamins. Have you ever thought about drinking water with a little bit of lemon? Yeah. Then she had her babies at home in a bathtub. And she said, I shouldn't have had my first baby in the regular bathtub because I'm a little bit too tall for it. But then for my second baby, I rented a bigger bathtub. Yeah. She said doctors told her not to, but she didn't listen. And guess what? Giselle knew better. Giselle is better than a doctor. Seven. Take care of your body so it can take care of you. So this chapter, she starts out extremely self-aware. She says, I feel like I have to address something. I'll do it fast because it makes me uncomfortable. I've been told that many women wish they had a body like mine. I also know that many people are curious about my diet. I must admit, I find all of this a bit strange. Do you find it strange? What do you think a model is, Giselle? What do you think a model is if not like the ideal person strutting around to make people want to buy things. You think it's strange that people admire your body? Why would they have hired you if no one admired your body? I don't think I understand. The body I have is the one I was given. Remember, four of my sisters are about a head shorter than I am. And all the kale and coconut milk in the world won't make them taller. A lot of people seem to be under the impression that I follow a special diet or a special exercise plan to look a certain way. The truth is, when I was younger, I didn't have to do very much to keep my body fit. I am a model after all, and my natural body type is leaner with smaller bones. But at 38, my metabolism has slowed, and today I am very thoughtful about what I eat. So even though you may be under the impression that she follows a special diet, she's here to tell you that actually she does. She has a lot of very specific things that she changed slowly over time. Because of the panic attacks. Do you guys remember the panic attacks that she had 15 years ago? She doesn't eat anything now, but it's because of the panic attacks. And she likes to try and eat healthy wherever she is. And it's inspired a lot of her friends and family. For instance, the inspiration that happened when she went on a family trip and she made everyone eat healthy. And they said, please don't make us eat healthy on this family trip. And she said, well, I'm not making anything else. So hopefully it inspires you to eat this or nothing. When choosing what to eat, I think about energy and balance. And what that means is it turns out she actually feels better when she doesn't eat. She says that two days a week she doesn't eat breakfast because it's important to let your digestive system rest. She's really of this mindset that like eating is the biggest way to make you sleepy, that mostly food is a sleepy agent. And the best thing you can do is eat as little as possible so that you feel light. So here's her deal. Twice a month, she eats meat. She eats seafood once a week, but she eats smaller fish. She also does oil pulling. She does mostly green juices. She also eats seasonally based on her garden. Despite what you might have read, I think about how we eat. Our family isn't 100% dairy free. Every once in a while, she'll have goat cheese, but not often. She also doesn't eat sugars. They also don't ever eat dessert unless it's made out of coconut or dates. They eat pasta once a week, quinoa pasta, which she thinks tastes better than regular pasta. And on the weekends, Tom will make gluten-free pancakes for the whole family. So she says, I'm sure by now you've realized we're not that strict. She also works out a ton. She doesn't drink alcohol often, but when she does, she'll drink one glass of red wine, two on special occasions. 
She only does juice detoxes in the summer, but she loves it. Because in the winter, you're chilly, and so you should eat more. She also recommends eating in silence and eating as slow as you possibly can so that you can become more mindful during mealtime. Because how you eat, it's not just what you eat is who you are. How you eat is who you are. So if you eat like quickly, you're like a horrible person. After dinner, I usually like to drink a cup of chamomile tea and I make cups for the kids too. Normally, I try not to drink anything, whether it's water, tea, or wine while I'm eating and for 30 minutes after she's done eating because it disrupts the digestive process. So as you can see, Giselle's actually really fun not too strict. After dinner, she's like a big dessert head. She'll have a square of dark chocolate. And if she's PMSing, she'll have a little bit more than a square of dark chocolate. Not after dinner because the caffeine and the chocolate will keep her up. Only after lunch. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Forgive me, Giselle, for relaying this wrong. I know how much it stresses you out that people even care. Sometimes she'll do a month or two without any sugars, including fruit or anything. But that's only like once in a while. Yeah, once in a while. So overall, you can see she's not that strict. She's actually a very fun gal. She eats chocolate. She has a glass of wine every now and then. She lets her hair down, her beautiful, perfect hair that was voted by the world as the best hair. It's all very easy to be Giselle. Chapter eight, the final chapter. Know thyself. She starts with a small story about a toad who looks up and sees the sky and it turns out he's in a well. You're in a well. Watch out. You're in a well. She says, you need to explore the world. You need to start by knowing yourself and then look outside and see the sky. It's big. She then goes on to say that she's always been reading about history, religion, metaphysics, mysticism, and a lot of things that she kind of thought she came up with have been around forever. She's learned that there's some really popular notions that are actually quite old. For example, the idea that all people have both male and female energies inside of them and that internal balance is when these two forces are in harmony comes from Taoism, which dates back to the sixth century. Right. So basically she says what she's learned is aside from the way that we view gender and male qualities and female qualities, the truth is male is power and female is love. And you need to have both within you. The problem is people abuse power and they don't have power with love. And that's why the world is bad. Thank you, Giselle. She says power without love is a bad combination and it's unsustainable. We read about this every day in headlines, rampant inequality, cruelty towards the less fortunate, floating islands of plastic garbage in the ocean. This dominance of masculine energy has disconnected us from the feminine side and from Mother Earth. Our survival comes from our Earth's natural resources, so wouldn't it be smart to use them wisely so we can continue to utilize and enjoy them for many generations? I guess that would be smart. She says that the Earth is sending us stronger and stronger messages, tsunamis, floods, earthquakes, droughts, erupting volcanoes, We forget that when the earth gets sick, we do too. This is all very insightful. It was not until I became a mother that I deeply connected to my feminine energy. I felt like a lioness and that my home had become a cave and I would do anything to defend and preserve my cubbies. So at this point, she talks about meeting Tom, how they found out two months into dating that he was actually about to have a baby. She loves that baby. And she says, before Tom and I were married, we talked a lot about how we wanted our relationship to develop and I expressed that I wanted an interdependent relationship, not a codependent one. At this point, they come up with a roadmap that he says, I want to work for 10 more years and then I'll retire and we'll have kids. And she says, perfect. This obviously is disrupted by the fact that it turns out at this point, he already has a kid. So at the point that they're having this conversation, which I guess is one month into them dating, he finds out that he's about to have a baby. So this kind of threw a wrench into everything. Because now that he's about to have a family, they decide, well, we don't want our kids to be years and years apart. They don't want to have one son be way older than the rest of the kids. So they decide to have two children sooner than they were planning to. So this required her to kind of pause her career at a time that she wasn't necessarily planning to pause her career. But she says 
now that I have a family, it's about the family and not necessarily me. Whereas for Tom, it's kind of about Tom and not necessarily the family as long as the family comes along. So instead of waiting 10 years to have kids, they have kids kind of early. Yeah, they have kids. They meet in 2006. They have their first son in 2009. Yeah. So it's not like too soon on a normal timeline. It's just not the timeline that they had discussed and agreed upon. So then she decides to put her career in the backseat and just go to Boston with him and be a mother. With the arrival of Benny and Vivi, I quickly found out that being a mother was a lot more work than modeling. She says, Tom's schedule during football season is so demanding that I take most of the family responsibilities. I think of this stage of my life as the valley, not because it's in any way negative, but because once you've been on top of the mountain, there's nowhere else to go but back down. To me, this feels negative. On top of the mountain, it's always sunny and bright and you get a big view. In contrast, life in the valley is quieter and more contained. Perhaps dark and mossy. The valley gives me the opportunity to understand a different side of my life and devote myself to being the best wife and best mother I can be all while I get to experience the love of my children. And then she goes on to be like, I am very lucky, however, of course, that I'm so successful already that I can do whatever I want whenever I want. So whenever I feel like working, I can. But the valley also reminds me of the importance of the feminine element in the life of any family. If you're a man or a woman who works outside the home, you lead two very different lives. The first life, your outside life, takes place in the outside world. It centers on drive and achievement and making a living to support your family. The second life is your inside life. This one is focused on taking care of the house and the children. Everything is built on this foundation. Most men are focused on their outside lives, but many women are too. But for anyone to succeed and thrive in their outside life, they need a strong inside life. That's why whenever someone says she's just a mom, I get really mad because just a mom is the foundation of everything. I don't know, man. It really does not seem like you loved the valley or what being a woman is. (laughs) She's like, the worst time of your life is the valley. And the valley is when you're really a woman. And when you're a woman, you're a mom. It's really fun. I really like it. It's really good balance to being outside and being on top of a mountain, which is where I was before Tom made me have two babies. And he said he was going to retire in 10 years. And he's not retiring anytime soon. It's now been 16 years. Now that the kids are older and in school, I know that soon I'll be ready to begin climbing another mountain. I've learned I'm good at climbing mountains. I've never lived in the valley for this long, but I wouldn't give back the time I spent here for anything. Sure. Okay. I believe you. Recently, Tom and I revisited the conversation we had when we first got married, the one where he told me he would play for 10 more years and then retire. But I acknowledge that it's better for both of us to think of that conversation as a map, not the destination. Today, Tom is playing better than he ever has, and he still loves what he's doing. I don't know that I could say he's playing better than he ever has. Tom will retire when he feels it's time. The decision has to come from him. In the end, if Tom's happy, we're all happy. And that's what a partnership is. God, she is miserable. She's <laughs> This book came out four years ago. She's been so mad at him for so long. So that's where the book ends. She explains her wedding. They got married in a church and then in Costa Rica. Sounds very beautiful. Sounds, actually, it sounds like a very me wedding. She's like, I don't know. We just got married and then everyone hang, hung out and had a good time. We were in Costa Rica, whatever. Like, that sounds dope. She ends the book saying, wherever you choose to go, I wish you a safe, exciting journey and that you may always be connected and guided by love. Thank you. Amen. Wait, oh my God. I'm looking at the acknowledgments. And I'm not saying a single fucking word of a person. It's four more paragraphs about herself. That's so funny. She thinks herself and she thinks someone named Anne. It takes her a while to get to thinking anybody but herself. Thoughts, Ashley? Well, I've learned my lesson. (laughs) (laughs) And that's to never read anything Giselle Bunchen writes ever a fucking gun. Got it. What about you, Claire? In this book, she references another book, a coffee table book by Tashin that has 300 photos that represent her 20 years in the modeling career. And I wish we had read that book instead. And honestly, 
as much as I didn't like this book, I would buy that book to look at her. I am newly obsessed with her face. I mean, she is so beautiful. She is really beautiful. And I wish that she would let the pictures speak instead of her thoughts. Because the pictures are inspiring. They are lovely. They are unique. And her thoughts are words that are sentences to some. We love you guys so much. Don't forget the Patreon. We'll see a bunch of you at our November 12th show. I cannot freaking wait. I love you all. Thank you so much, you guys. I adore you. And we will see you next week.